you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Uh, that's so true, it's frightening. And if we could just teach our Republicans and our Democratic representatives and senators that. You know? Uh, this, you know, you got to live off what you, you got to live off what comes in. The outgo is no, can't be more than the ingo. <laughs> but we struggle with that, don't we? Because we want what we want. We want what we want. And in these days of easy credit and people sending you credit card applications and checks that you can just write out the months and you'll get an advance on your credit card and all that kind of stuff, all the stuff that we can have with just our signature and just pay $18 a month for the next 422 months. I can afford $18 a month, can't you? So if I was going to preach... What I know, I would have to stop right now because all I know is just what my dad taught me. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. The Bible talks deeper into that and says this whole area is, is deeper. And as I said, this may be the ta tabooist of taboo subjects because, uh, you know, you don't, you don't talk about money and you don't talk about uh, religion when you get around family and that kind of things and I think that's because money is a private matter and we don't want to be able to talk too much about money and I don't ask you how much you make and you don't ask me how much I make and and even though anybody can know how much I make you just got to go ask Rita and ask her and she'll tell you I mean it's it's not it's not it's not hidden I, we have nothing to be uh, ashamed of uh, but I think this, 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 the culture of the world that kind of privatizes money, we put that template of the culture of the world over top of Christianity instead of putting Christianity over top of the world. And so we keep this money thing very, very private. And, you know, you don't want to step on people's toes. And I've had pastors call me when I was assistant DS and, and ask me how to preach on money. And I said, I don't know. Just preach on it, man. Just say what the Bible says. You can't get in trouble for saying what the Bible says. And people are worried that people leave the church and, and all that kind of stuff. And so let's get into this subject this morning because the Bible says it's a very spiritual subject. And if I'm going to be a Christ-like disciple, and if I'm going to be as a preacher then, I am a disciple, but I'm going to be a Christ-like preacher, I have to know that Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven and hell. He said, he, he said more about the way we handle our material possessions than he talked about heaven and hell. And I'm not sure the reason for that. Maybe he knows how, how, how close that is to our hearts and how much that our wallets are, are important to us. And maybe that's the only place I've been able to find in God's Word that he says, test me with your wallet and see if I will not prove faithful to you. Maybe he, he says more about heaven or uh, more about money than he does about heaven or hell because we spend more time thinking about money than we do about heaven or hell. And he knows that about us. There's a story in Matthew chapter 25 that I'm going to launch from this morning. If you have your Bible or if you've got in the habit that I notice some people today of grabbing one of the 
Bibles that we have uh, made available to you that are kind of by the doors and places like that. I told you last week about the small print. You remember that? I had a good friend of your all's come into my office this week and say, here's some money, go buy some large print Bibles. <laughs> so I think by next Sunday we'll have a different color Bible back there and you'll know one color is large print and one color is small print. You also will know the large print because it obviously will be thicker as well. But if you have your, one of our Bibles or your own Bible, would you open it to Matthew chapter 25? Matthew chapter 25, which is in our Bible, is on page 694. Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to start with verse 14. It's the story that you're familiar with. It's a story of the parable of the talents. And when uh, a man uh, went on, and a master is a good translation as well for, for man there, went on a journey, he gave three of his servants. He gave them... Um, a unit of money to be able to uh, uh, use and to be able to invest for him. And he goes off on this journey. And he gave, the Bible says he gave money to them and not the same amounts. He gave one five units of money, he gave one two units of money, and he gave one just one unit of money. And the Bible says the reason he did that is because he gave it to them according to their own ability. Isn't that interesting? Things aren't fair in this world. And God knows some people have the ability to do some things and some people have the ability not to do some things. Isn't that fascinating? And he said, to each to his own ability, he gave away this money. One had five units of money. Your, your Bible may call it a, a talent, parable of the five talents. Our, our Bible here calls it a, a bag of money. That's not a good translation. It's actually a talent. One gave five, one gave two, one gave one. The guy goes off on a journey, and he comes back to settle accounts one day. And he said, okay, you got you with the five talents that I gave you the five, what did you do with it? He says, man, I put this money to work, and here I got five more talents, and I'm returning to you your money, and I'm returning to you ten talents. And the master said, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with the two talents came up and said, here, I took your two talents that you gave me, and I came and I went, put him to work, and here I return now to you two more talents. I'm returning to you four talents. And, and the man says the same exact thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy that was given the one talent, he says, you know, you know, master, you are really, I know you're a hard man. And uh, you reap where you have not sown. And I was afraid that, you know, I would lose this money. And so what I've done is come and I stuck it in the ground and I, I'm bringing back to you every single penny you gave to me. I didn't lose a penny. And the master, who represents Jesus or God in this parable, says, um, you wicked and lazy servant. Well, what's that word wicked mean? Probably doesn't really mean wicked, does it, Mark? Well, I looked it up in the NIV, it's wicked. I looked it up in the NASB, it's wicked. I looked it up in the King James, it's wicked. I looked it up in the New King James, it's wicked. I looked it up in the New Living Translation, it's wicked. It means wicked. <laughs> it's the same exact word 
that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer where he says, lead me not into temptation and save me from the evil one. Wicked, same word there. Same exact word. And Jesus says to this guy, because you haven't done anything with what I haven't given you, because you haven't used the resources that I've given you, because you've wasted the opportunity that I've given you, Jesus says to this guy, not only is he wicked, that he's lazy, and Jesus said, you're going to that place we talked about last week. He says, I'm going to cast you into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he says, I'm going to take away from you what you had, and I'm going to give it to the guys that used the money. I don't know if you like that or not, but the, the most kindest, humblest, gentlest, gracious man in the world told that story. And it was a story he made up, right? We've learned that parables aren't real stories. Jesus could have told any illustration, made up any story to be able to make a point. But the man who's the most gentle, the most loving, the most kind, the most gracious, the most tender, the most compassionate, told that story that way. Now, if you have your Bible, let's kind of look at it. Fourteen, verse 14 of chapter 25. There was a man going on a journey and called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags. Nah, it's not bags. It's talents. It's a, it's a, literally, it's a, unit, it's a unit of money. A bag is something you carry a money in. It's a unit of money. And if these are talents of gold, which they probably were, a talent was 71 pounds. A Roman talent was 71 pounds. You had a Roman talent, you had a Babylonian talent, you had a Sumerian talent. It was just a unit of measure. And history tells us that a Roman talent of gold was 71 pounds. Now, do you know how much money gold is per ounce? So we're not talking about any little bit of money here. Uh, when I checked this morning, gold was $1,600 an ounce. And this was 71 pounds. This, this is no little bit of money. So we're not talking about rich and poor people here because the guy that got one talent, he got a heap of money. I wish I had it. So this is not about rich people and poor people. And the rich people, they get all the, they get all the money and it's taken away from the poor people, given to the rich. No, we're talking about the one talent guy had 71 pounds of gold. And in today's market, that's over $1,600 an ounce. It was a decent sum of money to be able to use and to be able to invest. He gave to one five talents of gold. He gave to the other two talents and gave to, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and so forth and so on. Um, friends, verse 14 said this, the man entrusted to the servants his wealth. 
And down through, as you read later, the servants knew they talk about returning your money. It was the master's wealth. Let me get to the hardest part of financial, biblical financial talk. The money that you have is his. That's the toughest part of it right there. If you can get over that hurdle, you can get over any other hurdle. But there's the toughest hurdle. The money that I have is not mine. It's on loan to me. What I think I own is really on loan. It's all God. Well, why is it all God's? I mean, I I work and I punch in and I punch in at 8 and I clock out at 5 and I sweat and I earn that money. Where did did you get uh, the breath to earn that money? Where did you get the arms and the legs to earn that money? Why? Where did you get the mind to be able to find that job or the mind to be able to figure out things? Well, where did you get the very breath that makes you live? Who puts the very sun in the sky that we can be, even be able to have an earth and that sun is absolutely the right distance away from this earth so we won't burn up or so we won't freeze? The world is his and everything in it. And we are stewards. That word means, that's an old English word. That word means manager. Some of you in here may be a manager. You don't own where you work. You're working for somebody else. You are steward of that boss's money, his, his, his business. You don't own that. You are a steward. You are entrusted. And it's the same thing with the money that we have. In the most taboo of the taboo subjects and the most taboo things of this subject of money is the fact that I can't say mine. But I've been saying mine since I was in the crib and it was my rattle. It's the very essence of what we mean by the sinful nature. Mine. Mine. Don't turn here. But there's a beautiful little story in 2 Chronicles, and I'm going to flash it on the screen. David is having a capital campaign to build the temple. David said, it is not right that the Ark of the Covenant should, should be out there in a tent, and here I am living in this beautiful place. I need to be able to build God this big temple. So David goes on this capital campaign. And you read First Chronicles 29 and all the money that David gave out of the treasury of, of, of Israel to be able to build this. Then it talks about all the money over and above that David gave from his own personal wealth. And then it talks about how the leaders... Of, of, of Israel came and they donated. And it says they donated first. The leaders did. And, and how much they gave and took initiative and took the lead in that. Whenever, if we ever decide to build a building across the street or we ever decide to remodel this place in a real way, we'll do it the exact same way. And the leaders will give first. The leaders of this church, the elected leaders of this church will be the first ones to give to set the pace for us. 
And so David is just saying to God, oh God, I can't believe how great that is that your people, your leaders are given, and then your people have come and, and given, and David is just worshiping the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10, the Bible says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. They were there to, uh, to be able to celebrate the giving of this money to build God, in some translations that say a palatial structure that was worthy of their God, Yahweh. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, and everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who in the world am I? And who are my people, King David says, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. In the Methodist tradition that I was raised in and started pastoring in, when the offering is received, the ushers come to the front like we do here, and then after the offering is received, they stand at the back, and when they're ready, they uh, proceed forward, and the congregation stands and sings something. They may sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We may have sung the chorus, Give thanks with a grateful heart. But I found a little chorus that comes straight from this story we just read, and we started singing that. That says, We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust O oh Lord, from thee. Can you deal with the toughest part of this taboo issue? It's not mine. It's on loan. And I'm going to give an account one day of what he's given me. I've been there at the birth of children. And none of them come in with a satchel full of money. I've been there at many deaths. And none of them go out. You know, we would, we would never do this, and I understand why, but it would be a very good theological statement to make. And I'm not saying we should be doing this because it would freak people out. But it would be a wonderful theological statement to make. If the person in the casket was naked. You got that? You come in with nothing and you leave with nothing. If you're not a very generous person, you're going to force, be forced to be one one day, right? You have to give it all away. You're going to have to give every single cent of it away. This, this mine is rooted deep down in us. Uh, my Christopher loves French fries. 
especially sea salt French fries at Wendy's. And uh, I love them too, but my waistline doesn't, okay? So when we go, I usually don't order them, or if I do order them, I order a small amount that will split up. You always get Christopher a large one because he don't eat much of anything, and maybe at least french fries will keep him alive. So we get him a big one. Well, sometimes my lust for french fries gets the best of me. And especially if I didn't order any for myself and I'm trying to be real good. And I'll see those french fries over there. And I'll smell those french fries there. And I'll say, Christopher, I'm going to take one of those french fries. Those are my french fries. And I did the same thing, or do the same thing that you all did. Boy, who bought you those french fries? God wants your french fries. We say, those are mine. We sing a song that says, You give and you take away. All we have is God's. Ask some people in this congregation that have had their health taken away from them and how maybe they had kind of taken that for granted all we have the ability that I had here to drive a car here the intelligence that I have to preach this sermon the in, all we have is a gift from God each according to our own abilities is what the Bible says and the master entrusted servants with his wealth do you know this world is a test for the Christian and do you realize for the Christian there will come a day, as the text says, Matthew 25, verse 19, after a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. There's a day God will settle accounts with us. Now, for the Christian, that settling of accounts will not be a heaven or hell thing. That has been decided by our faith in Jesus Christ. But for the Christian, that settling of accounts, there is indication in God's Word. It, it depends on what our afterlife is going to be like and what rewards we will have and the crowns that we will have earned because of this life. And he's going to look at all of us one day and say, this is what I've given you. Whether you're talking financially or you're talking whatever, what have you done with your treasure? What have you done with your time? What have you done with your talent? What have you done with your influence? What have you done with your personality? Mark, what did you do with that tongue that I gave you that gave you the ability to be able to speak to people? What did you do with that, Mark? And, and, and there's, there's a time he's going to settle accounts with us. And what he's given, loaned us, the resources that he's given us, treasure and everything else, he will settle up.
and the type of afterlife we will have, the type of heaven we will be able to experience, there is biblical evidence, the type of crown we will earn, that biblical evidence of that depends on what we did in this testing period with the opportunity of the talent that God gave us. I could spend a month of Sundays preaching from this parable and pull out so many different principles in this parable, but I'm just going to sit down right here on this one right here and say he entrusted his servants with his money. With his money. You worry about your money? Yeah, we all do. But it's probably a sign in me and probably a sign in you that I've taken ownership of that. It's probably a sign that I've taken ownership of that. I can remember when I moaned and groaned in 1999 about my 1995 Ford Contour and how the air conditioner went out of that and I needed $700 to fix the air conditioner and I sputtered and around and moaned and groaned and grumbled around for a week about that. $700. I don't need that kind of stuff. I'm just getting ready to graduate seminary and $700. I said, sir, why do I need to spend $700? But you know what I was going to be able to do the very next week that I was going to preach a revival at a neighboring church and you know how much they paid me for that revival? Thank you. And God seemed to say, Mark, why didn't you waste a week of your life fretting? I got this, Mark. And we, and we, we like to say that, you know, God's got this, and, and uh, he will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And that's a marvelous promise that many people pull out. And it is a promise. But it's a promise with a premise. It's a promise with a condition. I think I have it on the screen. But Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 talks a little bit about that. Verse 10 of Philippians 4, page 820 in your church Bible. Listen to Paul. Listen to what he says before he says that verse that we've all memorized about uh, he's going to supply my needs. Look, look, the context, the context, the context. Can't just pull a verse out and say, here's my verse, look at it right here. What's it say around that? And it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, Apostle Paul speaking. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who give me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. They took an offering for him. 
Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Oh, if people in the pews would understand that. The motivation in the pastor's heart. I don't need to buy a new Lexus. Do you know I reduced my salary 18% of what the previous pastor was paid? It's not about us getting more money. It's about how we can be able to use that money and how you can, what can be credited to your account. That's the desire of any true man of God who preaches this to his people. Verse 18, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus brought the gifts from the Philippians. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Who's that promise go to, friends? Let's go to people that have given. Go to people that have been generous. People that have given sacrificially. Can't pull out that promise and hold it up if you're not meeting the premise of the promise. If you don't understand that it's all God's. If I write, write a check out here to a missionary, I'm just, it's just part of God's money. I write a check out here to church, it's part of God's money. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. You settle that issue. If you settle that issue, that's a big hurdle. But it's but it's not it's you're you're not out of debt when you settle that issue. There's other stuff. So that's why we offer classes like Financial Peace University. That'll be starting in about three weeks. You can see information out there, information on our website. And we've got a little video right here that gives you a little clip about if you understand that it's God's, now what do I do with it? Can we show that, please? Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. 